Good to see everybody. If you find your seats. We can go ahead and get started this morning. Our call to worship this morning is Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 14. Please pay special attention to the reading of God's Word. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, that, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood, and have not forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who discipline us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But, the discipline, uh, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness with which no one will see the Lord. All right, let's pray together. Father, we come to you again this morning thankful for your word, thankful that you have made us alive in Christ uh, that you have reconciled us, that you have dealt with our sin, sin which was placed on your Son, uh, where you poured your wrath out upon him instead of us. And in return, by faith, we receive the righteousness that he earned in our stead. Lord, these gifts um, are inexpressible, how, how great the gift of yourself is to sinners, Lord. And we pray that as we continue to dive into your word this morning and seek to understand it, that we would have a sense of your holiness and that we would have a sense of our sinfulness and the reconciliation that we have with you in Christ, uh, Lord, that we would see these truths, Lord, that what we teach and preach here this morning um, would be faithful, uh, Lord, that through the Spirit's illumination, uh, Lord, that we would um, seek to, to, again, Say what your word means and that we would be transformed by uh, the Spirit's power using the word in our lives. Lord, so grant us these things we ask 
In the name of Jesus, amen. All right, so this morning we're going to do a little sidestep from our confession um, where we were dealing with the doctrine of repentance. And I guess we're going to instead talk a little bit more um, about uh, unrepentance. Um, And that was brought about uh, through um, the faithful teaching through 1 Corinthians, right? When we got to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, um, Pastor Ron exegeted it and and said that, you know, maybe we're not seeing 1 Corinthians chapter 5 the way uh, we ought to. And so we've spent some time together going through that and, and seeing what that means. Um, and so uh, we want to talk a little bit about uh, aspects of church discipline this morning. Um, we're not, I'm not going to do the whole gamut on what is church discipline per se, uh, but we're going we're gonna to run through some texts of church discipline and see what that means, see what that leads to, see what that's for. Um, during the Reformation, the Reformers uh, sought ways to distinguish what a true church was. And, and they came up with three marks that they were like, you know what, if, if a church doesn't have these three things, then it, it can't rightly be called uh, a church. And their main marker that they came with was the right preaching and teaching of God's word. Okay, so you get that one in place, and then the rest of the dominoes fall together. And the second was the right administration of, of the sacraments, right? Meaning two, not, you know, 27 or whatever, whatever uh, they were breaking away from. And uh, the right practice of church discipline. They said th- those three things are a must uh, in order to have a, a what we would see biblically as a as a Christ honoring church, um, there are a couple different ways that we can look at discipline in our lives. Um, corrective is 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 a is a sense kind of like the negative aspect of it, and formative discipline, um, which we would look at as kind of the positive side of it. And formative discipline is the things that shape people as they grow emotionally, physically, mentally, and spiritually. It's the basic shaping that takes place in our families as well as in our churches. Every truth you have ever heard someone talk about is formative, right? When you hear truth and you, uh, by faith, believe that truth, that's a, that's a formative discipline. When your parents raise you and say, this is right, this is wrong, uh, that's that's formative, right? We are forming the way uh, you, your lives take place in society through uh, the truths of God's word. So this morning, as we listen to teaching and preaching, that could be formative uh, discipline. So uh, like a positive sense of it. The negative sense of it, um, we see in texts like uh, Matthew 18, uh, verses 15 through 17, um, which, which, which I'll get to. Uh, and, and and what we want to talk about is some of the corrective aspects of church discipline. Um, so the best way to, I think, give us what Scripture says about church discipline 
is I'm going to read some text here. I won't read. There's a, there's scripture says a lot about church discipline. I'm going to I want to read a few texts to us that are familiar to us, but to grab a sense and, and to understand uh, where we're going. So Matthew 18, um, verses 15 through 17, is the uh, first sense of church discipline in the New Testament. It says this, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault, between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two other others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile or a tax collector. Okay, um, <clears throat> again, that would be the go-to when you when you think church discipline, right? I think that's the, 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 the one text that everybody would think of first, I think. Um, there's a lot more, though. Galatians 6.1 um, says this. I'm using my iPad because it's a little quicker for me to navigate than fat-fingering on you know, Scripture this morning. So, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you be tempted too. Um, we just read Hebrews 12. Um, 1 Corinthians 5. We're familiar with 1 Corinthians 5, we just, I, I won't read the chapter. Um, if not, write it down. We will be discussing it. But, right, it's Paul dealing with a, a, a sinner uh, in the congregation who it's, it's public, heinous sin that um, even the Gentiles don't uh, affirm and they are celebrating it. And he tells them to uh, remove the man, uh, to. Turn him over to Satan. We'll go. We'll get. We'll go through it. I don't think I need to read that text specifically right now. Second um, Thessalonians three um, six through fifteen is another sense of church discipline. It says, "Now we command you, brothers, in the name of the Lord Jesus, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you receive from us." For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we are not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor we worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have the right, but to give you, given ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busybodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him, that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. 1 Timothy 5, 19 and 20 um, says this. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that the rest may stand in fear. Titus 3, verses 9 through 11 
familiar with us. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they, un- they are unprofitable and worthless. As for the person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, and he is self-condemned. Um, that's not... Uh, an exhaustive list of what Scripture says about church discipline, uh, but it, it, it's it's showing us a pattern. So the reasons, and when we read those Scriptures, the reasons that we can draw biblically uh, from the text for us to actually participate in church discipline, um, we see it's it's for the good of the person being disciplined, right? Uh, the, the way in which we try to do it, and the, the outcome that we seek, right, is for a believer that is an unrepentant sin is restoration, right? For a believer that's, it, it's a purpose and a means in which God grants repentance. Um, as we read in the, in the uh, first Timothy text, um, it's so the church uh, can see the danger of sin, right? You even when your leaders are in sin and it's rightly shown, you rebuke them in, in, in person and in public so that the congregation uh, has a right and healthy fear of the Lord. Um, it's a corporate witness of the church. Um, there's some verses, uh, if you want to write down, Matthew 5.16, John 13, 34 and 35, and 1 Peter 2.12. Um, the witness of what the church is to the world matters. First Peter two twelve says this: Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. And ultimately, uh, the reason churches practice um, church discipline, the sense that it's biblical. And for the glory of God. First Peter 1, 15 and 16 says this, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Um, you could also uh, look at 1 John 3, verse 2 through 3, in Ephesians 5, 25 through 27, to see that the glory of God in the body uh, is a big deal. So, as we read the scriptures and as we think about um, church discipline, like I said, we run to Matthew 18, and Matthew 18 is describing sin, um, personal sin, right? When my brother personally sins against me. But as we read those texts, we have texts like uh, Titus 3 that says, you know, when a brother's being divisive, how do you handle that? It's not in the same manner. It's a... Warn him once, warn him twice, and have nothing to do with him. In the case with the Corinthians church, Paul says, right, I'm not there, and I'm, 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 I'm giving judgment. Put him out. Put him out of the church. He's, it's heinous sin, right? He speaks on the, the evilness of the sin being committed and the public nature of it and the, the uh, harm that it's doing to the church. We see in Scripture multiple ways and multiple means to handle church discipline. Um, today, I want us kind of to focus on what we call the final steps of church discipline before 
um, before the process of restoration, right? The unrepentant uh, sinner. Um, Matthew 18, at least for me, has been the most formative in the way I think about the final steps of a church in excommunication, which says again, of, of the unrepentant person, let him be to you as a Gentile or a tax collector. Now, I specifically um, remember working through this. I, I think I was around 30, and I thought, well, yeah. This was when I would have had my Jesus is my homeboy shirt on. Um, Jesus loves everybody, and Jesus, this is what, what it means. This means, yes, there is no excommunication. They're, um, they're, they're, they're set apart, in a sense. We, we acknowledge their unrepentance, but uh, other than that, it means continue on, uh, allowing everyone to carry on as they always have, right? Coming to church, uh, participating in the in in all these things that they were already a part of. Come hear the gospel so that you could be saved. You know, that would probably be uh, the phrase that I would have used, and I think we have used, and I think most interpretations do use. Um, so that's one way of interpreting Matthew 18, 17. Um, and the other way, so the two ways in which it is interpreted, interpreted are kind of exact opposites of each other. Um, again, the first means the believer should meet regularly with the offender, encouraging them to continue attending services with no stipulation uh, other than no communion and uh, the fact that we're not vouching for your salvation. And the second way that this has been interpreted is believers should avoid regular interaction with the unrepentant and the church should forbid the unrepentant from regularly gathering with the saints for worship. The two senses in which this has been interpreted uh, in history. Again, option one, Christ commands the church to withhold only the fellowship of communion. Okay. Or Christ commands the church to withhold the fellowship of community. Those, those are the two options in what we are left with in Matthew 18, 17. And if we get that wrong, right, if Christ is saying one and we do the other, it's, it's almost the exact opposite of what Christ commands us to do, where hopefully we understand if we're not obeying what Christ says that we, can, we recognize um, the issue with that. Um, so how would... How would um, a first century Jew take Christ's words, what would it mean for them to deal with an unrepentant sinner as a Gentile? Again, I told you uh, the main thrust for how we've envisioned it, um, even here, is removing the table, right, and, and encouraging uh, the person to come. Ron alluded, again, in, in, in 1 Corinthians 5, that, that maybe... Uh, maybe we're missing something because of because of the language in which um, is being used. So, Christ Himself in Matthew ten five and six, um, He summarizes when He sends out the apostles. Right, He says uh, to not go to the Gentiles 
uh, but your ministry is for the lost sheep of Israel. In Matthew 15, 21 through 28, you guys remember this story? The Canaanite woman, um, right? She's a Gentile. And, and in verse 24, um, Christ says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. And it's not right to give the children's bread to dogs, right? And then she, having great faith, says, look, even the dogs right, can eat under the, under the table of their master. So when we think about how Christ treated Gentiles, right, his own words say he, he came for the lost, um, the, the lost sheep of Israel. Uh, his interactions with Gentiles are not just like a very common thing where you see he's accused of eating with tax collectors and sinners, right? Um, and then we can go to Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2 speaks on what's coming in the church, right? We have to understand the history of the church. We have to understand Acts and how uh, the church, right? There was a great mystery that we will read about in Ephesians chapter 3, but Paul, who is actually sent to the Gentiles, Right? This is after the cross. This is after the resurrection of Christ, after his ascension. Right, That now Peter has a dream in Acts and says, get up, eat, kill what's, what's unclean. He says, you know, I've never touched or ate anything unclean. And we get the interpretation of this dream is that the Gentiles are now going to be included after the resurrection of Christ. So before that, though, what they thought of the Gentiles is, is I think, pretty well recorded for us in Ephesians chapter 2. Um, so if you want to go to Ephesians chapter 2, I'll read for us verses 11 through 22. Therefore remember... That at one time the Gentiles, okay, in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who was made, who has made us both one and has broken down in the flesh that dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross. Thereby, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father, so that you, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So do you understand that Paul was saying this was true, and now by the person and work of Christ, these things are no longer true. So when Christ is on his earthly ministry, and he tells someone to treat them like a Gentile, 
This is how Jews thought of Gentiles. They were far off. They were not part of the kingdom. They were, um, I mean, it's, it, it lays it out here. Um, I'm sorry, let me find my notes. They were the uncircumcision. They were separated from Christ. They were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, right? So they weren't together. They were strangers. They had no hope without God in the world. They were far off. And there was a dividing wall of hostility between God's people, the Jews, and the Gentiles. We recognize that that gets taken care of in the cross, right? With the resurrection of Christ. We understand that that wall of hostility was torn down. But at this point in time when Christ is talking... How they thought of Jews, how Jews thought of Gentiles, excuse me, was we have nothing to do with them. Okay, um, that's that's I mean, the Old Testament um, positive laws that we have. Right. With the separation, where, why we are uh, not wearing garments. Right. We're not like the Gentiles. It was the separate. These were a separate people. And this separation was real. And again, um, we see the unfolding of the New Testament where um, they have councils and they are disputing, right? Listen, God gave the Gentiles the Holy Spirit just like us. So now they must be a part of this body. Now the Gentiles are brought in. You see that play out in Acts. Um, we see that throughout the New Testament. That's a big deal, right? The Jews understanding that now the Gentiles are in the same team, it took a lot of working to get to that point. So this, I'm showing you this because I want us to see how a first century uh, pre-crucifixion uh, of Christ would look at um, a Gentile. Um, it's also hard to imagine, right, that Jesus meant what we say he meant in just withholding communion. Like, I don't think they would have ever thought that that meant just, just not giving them communion at the Lord's table because obviously that... Um, that, that ordinance had not yet been even established, right? Um, they weren't, the, that didn't happen until uh, his crucifixion where he established the Lord's Supper, right, from the Passover. Um, so the gist of what I'm saying here and what we'll continue to look at Scripture is that to treat to treat someone like a Gentile then meant ultimately uh, to have nothing to do with them. That's that's where we're going. All right. That's the option I want to show us as biblical. Um, and again, this isn't what I've believed, but I think it's clear as we continue to look at Scripture that it's what all Scripture says in regards to um, what we have for church discipline and what Christ would have actually meant in dealing with the Gentile. Any questions or comments before we continue to to make that point, Joel? Yeah, you know what? That's a great. I don't. I so I think from my reading in the past, why I landed there, right, is to take not even to eat with this brother, and I would take that and say that, and I would I I forced that interpretation on all the texts and just said this is dealing with communion, 
I haven't read a good um, summary of why it only means communion. I mean, I don't think it means that. Um, right, I don't, I'm saying I, I've only forced that. I've read, I've just taken people saying that it only means communion, and I've just ran with it. I don't know, Pastor Ron, can you, I, maybe you could answer that. Why? Church that has the ability to open and close mm-hmm. the door of the kingdom. And so when we think about opening and closing, admitting a member and removing a member, we think of admitting the larger baptism. Yeah. So that connection to baptism then I think is what ties our connection to all this up on removal. Um, I, I think that's maybe where we can get that from. Yeah. I'm not saying that's that's how they've done it, but if we say to ourselves how do we? How does the church open the doors to the gospel? And how do we recognize that other valid claim of the gospel uh, and baptism? Right? So yeah. then, then the doors open, and then it's closed. And then we, we I guess, relate that to that aspect. Yeah, and, I, and that's good because I've definitely thought like that, and I. Yeah, I know. I mean. Right. I, I, I mean, why, why have I thought that? That's a great question. I, I, think, um, I think it's, for me personally, I'm not speaking for Ron or anybody else, I think I like that interpretation better. Um, I, I don't know that it's, I don't know that it lines up with Scripture. I know that it doesn't line up with Scripture. Um, I, I was at a church growing up that they didn't practice church discipline rightly, but when they did, they did it uh with it, with the next communication, have nothing to do with them, and so because they did it wrongly, they did it to repentant sinners, and then they did it like that. You know, I went more pragmatic, probably in my thinking, or I wanted to. Um, and again, there's a there's there's modern scholars that would say that that's what it means, and for whatever reason, it's it was easy for me to just say, yeah, okay, it means that. But again, when you read scripture, not just that. I'm, again, I see. Seeing what a Gentile actually was to a first century Jew, not a good thing, obviously. And then we can continue to look at some of the, the things mentioned in the other scriptures that we read in regards to church discipline. Because scripture isn't just uh, speaking of church discipline in one spot. It, it, it's, it's a lot. But go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like the difference between law 
You're right, right. Yeah, I, I, I don't have a good answer for that because I don't think it says that biblically now. You know what I mean? So, um, so yeah, I, I don't want to try to defend what I was thinking, I think, wrongly about church discipline. Um, and I want to continue to look at. Um, so, again, that's not enough. Let's continue. Again, if we have verses that look like they're contradicting each other, obviously we're wrong. Um, but I think in all of the verses that it speaks of where we get instruction on church discipline, um, well, turn with me to for, uh, chapter 5. Let's, let's review that. First um, Corinthians, sorry. So this is what Paul says about the unrepentant sinner. Okay, just just summarize. You can you can scroll through it. He's unrepentant. It's heinous. It's public. Um, he says not to associate with the brother, not to eat with him, to judge him. Right? Don't don't judge those outside the church. Judge those in the church. Purge the evil person from among you. Deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Now, Pastor Ron did allude in, in 1 Corinthians 5 that if we are doing that and we're saying only removing uh, the table from that person, that purging and turning that person over to Satan means in a sense that, what, this is a gathering place for Satan here? Um, no, Satan doesn't gather here, right? This is, this is the Lord's Day gathering. Uh, we also, he also made the point that we find ourselves, if we are removing this person um, from the uh, means of grace that we elevate, we say, come have all these means of grace except for the table, right? You hear the faithful preaching and teaching of God's word, uh, you hear it prayed, you hear the word sung, all means of grace, this gathering is a means of grace, and the only one that we withhold uh, is the Lord's table, That then we find that we are elevating the Lord's table above all the other means of grace, which is, is another problem. Um, and so, as we, as we walk through this, that person, again, it, it, it's, it's clear there that it's, it's more than that. Any questions or comments on on 1 Corinthians 5? Are you guys tracking with the argument that I'm making? Um, I know I'm trying to hit you with a fire hydrant. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, again, the, the, the goal is to honor Christ, right? My goal, though, if it's showing someone to be if if it's if this process reveals that somebody is not uh, a believer, then then my 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 job and my goal is not um, restoration. If this is a fallen brother, then absolutely one hundred percent. This is the way and the means in which God brings about repentance uh, to that brother. Um, yeah. So restoration with a brother for a backslidden brother. Amen. If it's revealing that uh, this person's father is still the devil, then then no, my, my my goal is not that restoration, right? It's not to um, reconcile at all costs, right? It's to protect the sheep in that manner and to 
uh, chase away wolves. You don't reconcile with a wolf. You reconcile with a brother, a, sh- a fellow sheep that's in sin. And this is the means in which uh, we do it. Uh, first, uh, Titus 3, right? Warn him once, warn him twice. Then have nothing more to do with him. Okay? That looks different than saying come and, and worship with us and just don't take the table. It says have nothing to do with him, right? Um, again, First Timothy 1.20, um, Hymenus and Alexander, I turned them over to Satan, right? Um, I handed them over to Satan so that they would learn not to blaspheme, right? So this is, this is a process in which Paul is bringing about, uh, and Second John 10 and 11, it, it talks about um, not to receive a, a professing brother that preaches or teaches a false gospel, right? Don't, do not have him over, do not associate with him, do not give any credence to what he professes, right? If he is in these sins. Um, So, Scripture lines up. Option two is is the biblical um, way in how we are to to treat that Gentile or that tax collector. Um, Again, obviously, for the fallen brother, that is to bring about repentance, right? And again, it is for the protection of the church. So, yeah, go ahead, Ted. Yep. Yep. Is idle. So again, we got multiple ways and multiple means of how to practice church discipline. So I would never say that it's contradictory, right, because it's the Word of God. So I would say that that's definitely a step moving. If he doesn't produce shame and if he continues to do these things, then you would take him to treat him like an unbeliever, treat him like a Gentile. Um, But yeah, but in that aspect, right, warn him. Don't have anything to do with him. As, As he's still a brother... Right? He's still a brother, but if he doesn't learn the shame that he needs to because he keeps denying what I'm teaching them, then we'll, we'll continue to move the needle there. Yeah. You're right, right. Yep. Mm-hmm. Certainly. 
certainly there's, there's, there's Gentiles, right? Because the great mystery for the church is that they are actually included, right? And we see that all through Scripture, right? The foreshadowing of the Gentiles being brought in. Um, yeah. Yes. Yes. Not all. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. Certainly not saying that there was no saved Gentiles before, but the the what it meant to be a Gentile to a Jew was that you are that dog, you know, that that Christ calls the Canaanite woman. Yeah. Yes. So never, never acknowledged as a brother. So yes, absolutely, because that would be the world, right? Um, and so it's it's not your job to police the world in a sense where you're saying, but what we are to judge and who we are to judge is our brothers and sisters here in this body. Um, so church, we don't church discipline somebody that's not a member uh, of our church. Yes. Fellowship. Fellowship. No. Not being welcome here would be a professing brother that is shown to be unrepentant. Right? Big distinction there. Now, those that are coming that are not professing Christians and are not a member here, yes, come. You're not a part of this body. We're not acknowledging you as a Christian. We haven't opened. We haven't used the keys to open the door for you. Um, and then, when that does take place, if that does take place, right through the faithful proclamation of the gospel, God saves them and they show themselves not to be a Christian then the process of church discipline in whatever scenario we find ourselves would take place. So, again, um, that's not we, – we, we can make – you know, I mean, every, every case is different, per se, but we don't, we don't church discipline uh, those that are not members here. Or, yeah, the, the world is welcome, right, but not to take the table, not to be acknowledged as a Christian, right? There's a separation now. Between between those that are in Christ and those that are not in Christ, or there should be. Joel. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. So practically speaking, right, we remove membership, right? We acknowledge as 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 the body together. Uh, they're not welcome to participate in communion. Uh, they're not able to worship corporately. They're not welcome at you know the church functions, the small groups, um, and they're um, and we as members do not casually hang out with them. Right now, that 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 could be your family member. 
right? And I, and I understand that. So that does look different. It's not to say you ignore your family members, right? You, I mean, your spouse, you can't, you can't um, all of a sudden say, church discipline, I can have nothing to do with you as a, as a, as a, as a wife or as a husband to someone being church disciplined. But we do know biblically, right, in how to uh, treat our unbelieving spouse. I mean, we, we've talked about this. Um, it does look different, though, as, as when we do have, uh, let's say, it is a, some, it's a co-worker, right? It's a different relationship with that person, right? You are seeking their restoration. You're seeking their repentance. So it's not just, you know, the same. It's a, the dynamics have changed. Right? How you acknowledge them has changed. What you're seeking after them is changed, right? You go from thinking uh, they're a brother to now saying, we need you to repent, and, and, and we want you to feel the sting of being outside the body of Christ, right? Now, if we were all to just disregard this, then again, that's removing a means of grace that God has given to that sinner. Um, if we say, you know what, that's stupid, I'm not going to do that because I know better. It, it, the effect that it should have, you know, that separation from the body, from the, from the grace that they received here and in, in, in gathering here and in worshiping here is, is done away with. And we do see that when, when, when unrepentant members just go to another church and they're accepted. We do see that, right? I mean, that's we can't help that, though. We can, I can't help that. Um, but I know how we are to act, and 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 yeah. And I think when when rightly done, again, it's a means that God can use. And he he, and we don't we don't say yes or no because of it's never worked or you know whatever else. The world doesn't do it. No one knows about it. No one else does it. Why should we? That's not. That doesn't enter into um, the equation. Questions or comments? We're out of time. Yep. yep. After it's happened, you mean? Yeah. Amen. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so again, given time to produce the fruits of repentance, right? With examination, it starts. You see, we see in Scripture what a repentant person looks like, right? He he to forsake his sin will cut off his hand. He will gouge out his eye, right? He's sorrowful. We 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 read about it through repentance in Second Corinthians chapter seven. What uh, godly repentance looks like and worldly repentance, and we give it time then now to play out and then to restore that person. Yeah, so, I mean, again, it's not a timeline, but it is. Yeah, absolutely. So the person that's excommunicated, we would absolutely keep out until we have examined them and see actual true repentance. Yeah. Right? I mean, so, that I mean, again, so you, so let's say, let's say uh, excommunication happens. We put them out. The person says, look, I'm sorry. Okay? They confess that they're sorry. Right? But we have a, an established pattern. We have 
uh, all this to say, no, this is this is not repentance. This is this is ongoing. You're out now through time, and unless it, God grants them repentance, they bear the fruit of repentance. We as a church examine that, and then in in due time, again, I'm not putting a time on it. We then restore that person uh, to fellowship, then bring them back to the Lord's table, but not giving it to them before that process has taken place. Uh, if that makes sense, am, am I understanding you rightly? Okay. Yes. Till 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 they have shown to be repentant. And again, I mean, that's those are the keys that God, that Christ has given to His church to open and shut that door. Um, and so, yeah, again, it, it's it's not it's not arbitrary, but there's not a you know there's not a handbook in a sense where all the details are laid out and like after week three, then this again, it's just through prayer and through wisdom and uh, seeking the Lord's guidance. Yeah, Joel. They're no longer being acknowledged by the body of Christ to be a member or Christian. Mm -hmm. Right. I'm almost tracking with you, I think. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I guess. I, I, I see your nuance. Um, so we would be so if if you are excommunicated we we we're not we're not we're acknowledging you as an unrepentant brother we are removing fellowship we are removing uh uh the name of i mean we're we're no longer vouching for you as a member or a christian until we see see repentance which would then lead to restoration where you would then be a member and uh, a brother you know so i guess in the wording you're, you're saying with the wording and, and yeah, I have to think about it. Go ahead, Pastor. Ron. I think when we say that up front, if you are a member of another church or you're coming from another church, church discipline, that's a warning to them. We are seeking to bind their consciences to know that on them, between them and God, they choose to eat anyway, and maybe they're running from church discipline and they're not. Because obviously being here and not there means that they're trying to run away from mm -hmm. it. The warning is, if you drop over dead, mm -hmm. just know you were born. Yeah. That, that's what we mean by that. Yep. I, I don't mean, so I'm not, I'm not saying that they can be under church discipline there. It's okay. Yeah. I'm actually saying, um, in case you are running, I'm speaking to your conscience. Yep. yep. Know before the Lord, if you are running from church discipline and you come to this table, we've just told you. And, and I know, let's say one of our fellow 1689 churches, um, 
that we, we, we know one of their brothers was under church discipline and decided to come here, and we were warned about it. We would definitely even go a step beyond just for their conscience' sake. We would, I mean, I would, we would say something to that person of, no, you're not welcome here. Yeah. Yeah, we, yes. We don't know, yeah. Yep. We know you're a visitor. Which is, we don't know why you're a visitor. Yeah, yeah. And if you're under church discipline, please know this isn't for you. Yeah. That's, that's yeah, it's good. That's clear. Any other questions or comments? No, I no, I think no, I think she would uh, and should. She should do what the Lord has commanded her. She's a she's a member. Let's say I mean they were both members, you know, wherever at this church. Then she should um, continue to worship here, and and then and then be that example still, acknowledging right what is right, and and so that again that her husband may be saved. Yeah. This is again gentle where um, God sovereignty trumps sphere sovereignty. So even in a marriage relationship. There, there's, a, there's a sphere, but God sovereignly trumps that sphere. So when a, when a man or a woman is asking their spouse to disobey God, God trumps that. Same as the government saying, you can't meet on Sunday. We said, you're wrong. God sovereignly trumps that. So whether the civil government tries to do it, whether a, uh, the headship of a home tries to do it, or the headship of a church tries to do it, in all three cases, God trumps all, all authority. He is the final authority. So where there is any type of asking someone to sin, or in any measure, obedience to the the, um, the sphere then would be disobedience to God. So us to not meet on Sunday when they told us to actually have been our disobedience. And the same would be true of a husband and wife in that case. Yeah, the God's authority trumps the headship. Even more so than just conscience. Yeah, over conscience. Yeah. Yeah. All right, let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for your word. Uh, we pray, Lord, that you would grant us faith, uh, that you would grant us repentance, that you would grant us uh, the uh, the ability uh, to read your word and to um, live it, uh, Lord. We have read that you are holy and now we are called to be holy and that would be impossible apart from uh, the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit applying to us all that Christ has earned for us, Lord. Uh, and so we pray, Lord, that we would live uh, and walk in obedience to you, again, not to earn anything that has already been secured for us in Christ, but to be faithful uh, to you, to glorify you uh, where you have placed us. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.